You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival and joins us shortly. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll break down earnings from Salesforce that disappoints. And C3 AI, the artificial intelligence hype hits reality with disappointing earnings from that company too. But let's stick on AI in the here and the now with Palantir. We go live to Palo Alto, California, where our own Ed Ludlow is sitting down for an exclusive conversation with the CEO. Plus, we'll have more on, guess what? Artificial intelligence, how Wall Street is using it, how the technology is replacing our jobs, and even how AI is replacing ourselves. We'll have more throughout the hour. But first, let's check in to an audience where we're going to be discussing so much more the future of AI with the likes of one key executive who wants to take the whole market. On that, I want to welcome our Bloomberg TV and our radio audiences. We want to send it over now to our one Ed Ludlow, who's sitting down with an exclusive interview the CEO of Palantir, Ed. Yeah, we're joined by Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir at AIP Con, Artificial Intelligence Platform Con, a chance for you to talk with customers about some of what you told us three weeks ago. And on that note, three weeks ago, you said that Palantir's plan for AI was, quote, just take the whole market. How's that going? Well, you know, unlike most people, we've been involved in what people call AI for the last five, six, seven years in the classified environment, uh, building systems that will allow you to identify um, adversarial positions. Um, and in that context, we built proprietary technology that will allow you to work with large language models, securely enhance them, roll them across your whole enterprise. You know, I've been at this for about 20 years, and I know it will take everyone else four or five years to build this. We're rolling it out. Our customer base is large, and we have, you know, usually we wait for, we have to go out and find people. Now we have customers, especially in the U.S., just calling us every day. Wait, you said the demand is huge. Yeah. Can you quantify it in some well, way? Well, you know, um, usually, again, usually, we've had a number of inbound calls in a year that we usually have in a year in, like, a month. And then, if you were at a conference, if you go next door, there are customers showing potential customers how to use our product. It's demo like, in a demo sense. Well, it's it's on real data. It's 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 things that they've done. Um, so right now, the whole world is hungry for something that it understands as AI, which is really AI or large language models. We are actually have customers using our products showing other customers how to do it. I mean, this is like you release a song and everyone is playing it. It's like, okay, great. 
We're very happy. And you know, the thing is, um, the, the, the US market is just hungry for innovation. It's hungry for things it's now beginning, it needs, to, it, be, it needs, you know, beginning to understand it needs like an ability to map an LLM onto your enterprise securely, abil ability to enhance the output of a large language model, and, abil and, and what's the output? Better margins, better safety. Uh, you can change your enterprise in right. weeks. I, I just want to jump in and ask a very basic question. AIP, yeah. is it built on GPT-4 we, or a we different are, foundational we, we, we What are, is the underlying tech? Uh, the underlying, we are completely agnostic to whatever large language model you want to use. Large language models have certain attributes, um, like they can give you reasoning, but you can't import that reasoning into your enterprise. What AIP does is allow you to take the benefits of the large language model, enhance them with algorithms that we help you build, and roll it securely across your whole enterprise. And what does that mean? It means you get all the benefits of a large language model in your enterprise today. Not in five years, not something that writes poetry, we're not offering people poetry writing in their enterprise. We're offering things that are so powerful that in really, in reality, I'm not sure we should even sell this to some of our clients, like national security. Who are those clients? Well, who are those clients? Proportionately, when you think about demand, how much is coming from the defense use case since you kind of gave more flesh to the AI bones at that during that earnings call? Look, the, 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 what's driving the, our demand for our product in defense is simply what is what people have seen on the battlefield. And that's very sensitive and very classified. But the demand for that is very large. It's going to get larger. Why is it going to get larger? Because America is the best at software. Pro software that's built on a product is in high demand in defense. Why is it also in demand? Because until two years ago, everyone thought this was a joke. We were building systems over the last five years that are deadly. That those deadly systems have changed the course of history. It's no longer madman saying this. You see it on the battlefield. In U.S. commercial, U.S. commercial industry is the most adaptive in the world, and they are hungry. Our clients are hungry for things that will give them a disproportionate advantage on margins, on safety, on secure use of LLMs, on making sure this is not just some poetry recreating what somebody said, but actually can create right. actual tangible difference. And we are rolling it out, and we're very happy. For our global Bloomberg television and radio audiences, we are at AIPCOM. We're joined by the CEO of Palantir, Alex Karp. During that earnings call, you said, we have no pricing strategy. We're going to create a lot of value. We're going to get hundreds of customers, and we will price it as we go. Have you made any progress on pricing strategy since that? No. Why, okay, why so, so relaxed okay. about it? Because if you, it's like one of these things. Like when you go to a bar, you know everyone wants to meet you. Do you have a pricing strategy when you go to the bar? No, you're like, oh, I'm cool. I know we have the best product on the market. I know customers will pay us fairly. I know that it's much more valuable than anyone will understand until they install it. And we will sort out. There's a, it, to make it like slightly academic, I believe in Pareto optimization. We are going to create a lot of value, and we're going to get some portion of that value. And customers are smart. They'll pay you some portion of the value. Why should I? Like, just as an axiomatic thing, if you have a software product, you always want to get paid after you deliver value. If you've got a PowerPoint, something that doesn't work, something that's not valuable, you want to get paid before you create value. We know it's valuable. We know it's much more valuable than people understand. We know we're going to continue to, to augment that value, and we're going to get paid along the way. Well, the counter consideration is how much you invest in the product. But we've already invested billions of building these things over in various components over the last 20 years and we have the we have the IP and we're basically sewing it together and adding things on top of it and so we know we have the IP we're certain of the value why would we so again I come to you I'm like hey I'm certain this is very valuable pay me 10 million dollars what are you gonna say 
Well, I don't have ten million dollars. Okay, if I were a customer, well, okay. Should, give me your British charm. Well, in this, uh, in, well, for your British charm, my, uh, my 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 British charm. If I were a customer, would say this is a really hard environment. If I think about cloud, exactly, customers are looking for value, uh, but the lowest price. So now, if I but if I, if you believe you have the best product in the world, what are you going to say? Okay, great. Let's not even have that discussion. I'll create the value. You tell me how much value you create. I, by the way, if you don't want to pay me, then I'll go to someone else who will. You can just you can have different margins than the person will pay me. You can have a different safety profile than the people. You can have a different ability to control your whole business from your laptop than someone else because the other person who valued it paid me. If you don't want to pay me, great. Uh, Alex Karp, CEO of Palantir Technologies. This morning, the Bear Cave, mm. a subset-based newsletter, put out a negative report great. akin to a you know, short report. I, I, yeah, yeah. Just read one of the claims. The Bear Cave believes Palantir is an AI imposter engaging in spurious games to inflate its books and obfuscate its less sexy role as an overhyped data consultant. What is your response to that? The Bear Cave is a Bear Cave. They can stay in the Bear Cave. We're a profitable software company. Those are interesting critiques of us, and you know we have the best products in the market, and that's why they're profitable, and we will win wanted to give you the right of response. Yeah. That was all. The core of Palantir's pitch, right, is that you have this experience in managing sensitive, classified often data networks or closed networks. How does that work in the training of the LLMs that are going into AIP? Is it difficult um, when that, you have that kind of restriction on the data source? It's a very, very, very important technical question. The, to, to, work the, to use LLMs at scale in a classified and sensitive environment, you have to have something like a data model that trains the data model and something like branching and, 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 and access control. Those products take decades to build. We have them. But if you have those products, you can segment in real time what, what the- They're LLM, already built? They're already built. We're already, they're already part of all of our core five. They're part of PG, they're part of Foundry. This is, they're about, we, we roll them out to our current customers. Many of our customers have not needed to use these. They now need to use them. Why do they need to use them? Because if you, in, a, in any environment, you're gonna have records, that you're, gonna have, you're gonna have data and insights you're not gonna share with a large language model. You're gonna have data and insights you do wanna share, and you're gonna have a hybrid, and that requires a segmenting, branching architecture. And one of the things we built over the last 10 years randomly, because we thought it would be valuable someday, was that. For our Bloomberg radio and television audiences worldwide, we are with Dr. Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir. An interesting case study is Ukraine. Mm. You've deepened your relationship and activity with Ukraine using AI in one case to help with reconstruction. Yeah. How else? Give it, just well, explain how um, it works. Uh, by the way, my real answer to the short people is ask the Russians. What do you mean by that? It's like, we can't ask save, the ask the Ukrainians, ask people who are on the battlefield, ask people who have been subject to- You're talking about the effectiveness the effect, of your- Effectiveness of our product. Okay. So it's like, there's very little we can say. You can read what the Ukrainians are saying they use. Targeting, according to reports, has gone up, uh, given the use of AI by products, potentially ours, from like, by 20 to 50X. These products have changed the course of history and they will continue to change the course of history, and I'm super proud of that. Do we already have, in the military use case, an arms race between powers like the US, Russia, China, specifically in the field of artificial intelligence? Yes, and we have an advantage, and if we don't get, get out of our own way, we might actually continue to When win. you say we get out of our own way, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, America has the best, best software companies in the world. The software companies largely come from a sliver of America. They produce products. We need to get to a point where 1% of our, of our spend on defense goes to products that have been proven on the battlefield not PowerPoints. 
And so like in the large language model and the generalizable AI, we are far ahead, call it a year or two, but we must actually implement. And there's a huge debate, part of the debate of course is these things are very dangerous if we didn't have Vicious adversaries, we should we should slow it down, but we do. But we also have lots of people who don't want to roll this out because they have nothing to roll out. And so they are, there's like the debate machine about rolling this out is partly for legitimate reasons because this could be dangerous, partly for security reasons you brought up, but there are architectures that will allow you to deal with this as a product like Poundier and hopefully someday others. But there's also the debate machine because there are only three or four companies in the world with anything to sell. And everyone else wants to debate, why should we do this? How should we do this? Can we play catch up? Can we talk about this in five years? That really plays into our adversaries' hands and we really have to avoid that. The long-term concern that, was, that came up 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago is an existential threat from AI. You, you talk at Palantir about bending AI to a collective will. Well, do, I, you, do you share the concern no, though about an extinction uh, yeah, level no, well, event? The, the, there's a lot going on there. Are these things dangerous? Could they become potentially dangerous? Could they become, yes. But, but what these debates ignore is either we will wield them or our adversaries will wield them. It, it is much better if we wield the technology than our adversaries who do not respect our norms, do not respect the rule of law, and do not respect the way we want to live, live in freedom. So that's point one. Point two, in the near term, what Palantir will allow you to do is make these things really, really valuable commercially and in the military context. And we, in commercial context, you have to do it because if you don't buy our product, your competition will. In the military context, you, we have to do it because our adversaries will build those products. Right. You talked about the competitive landscape. I actually wanted to ask you about C3 AI as an example, because you come up in, in bidding processes with them. Actually, we, look, this is a massive market. We actually don't come up with bidding processes with anyone. And I'll tell you what I think about everyone. So you, you don't let have just, any competition? Let me, just, let me just tell you about this competition thing that Wall Street analysts love. It's complete BS. You, this is an infinite market, basically. Try what we're doing and try what everyone else is doing and buy the thing that creates the most value. On an infinite market, Bloomberg Intelligence put out this research report this morning that says generative AI as a market will be 1.3 trillion in 2032. That requires compound annual growth of about 40% a year from this point over a decade. Do you see that as realistic? Well, what I see, I don't know. The, Based on the markets okay, look, you operate in. Look, these experts just make stuff up, but you know what we know is this is a large, basically impossible to measure market. Um, and what we also know is everybody in the, in the US is going to find ways to become more efficient and better using software. And a lot of that software is going to be AI driven. And we also know they're going to, that the market over time, not in a quarter, will end up picking the best products. That's what we know. In the United Kingdom, my home country, the FT is reporting that within the NHS as a case study, there is some concern about deepening the data relationship with Palantir. What, what, what would be your answer to those concerns? Um, look, outside of America and in the UK, there are legitimate questions that get asked. Where's the data going to go? How is it moved? Who touches it? Does it get exported to the US? Can we verify how it was used under what context? And can we make sure that the underprivileged people of, of the UK actually get the same treatment as the privileged people, including uh, not just in treatment, but future treatment, which is a huge issue in the UK because there's a backlog. So how do you deal with the backlog equitably? Palantir provides the most robust, transparent software in the world, which is part of the reason we're having an AI bonanza, because 
to make AI work, you have to show how it works. How did the transform work? How does the branching work? How does the ontology work? How does it map to LM? This is exactly what you have to show in a hospital context. Who worked with the patient? Under what condition? What, what doctor? Was it was the person equitably and fairly treated? What happens to backlog? By the way, we've proven we can do this as a product safely, efficiently, and under the hardest conditions in the UK. And I, I really hope we win that for this for our sake, but also for the sake of, of our UK employees and others that we greatly respect. And because it'll lead, transparency leads to the fairest, most ethi yes. ethical and justified uh, out outcomes you can get. Dr. Alex Karp, CEO of Palantir, thank you for having us at AIPCon here in Palo Alto. Thank, thank you. you. Back to you. Take care. Ed, absolutely fascinating conversation. An AI bonanza. We're going to deep dive into all things artificial intelligence throughout the show. Coming up, we break down the earnings of C3AI. Apparently, the market is infinite. Well, why is Dan Ives gone outperforming this stock? Is that why? He's from Webbush, of course. Get his thoughts as well as what's happening in the future for Apple and its AI path. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's get back to some of these earnings, the earnings reactions, because Salesforce tumbling after the software company signaled it isn't growing as fast as, well, it used to, while, of course, shifting its focus to generating higher profits. Let's get into the risk-reward here with Bloomberg's Brody Ford. And it was a notable drop. I'm now studying a little bit. But ultimately, this is a company that's having to do layoffs, having to tighten its overall expenses. Why the sales slowdown there? 
Yeah, so last quarter, Salesforce said, we're gonna focus on profit now. And the market said, yeah, finally. Like, you know, we couldn't be more excited. And this quarter, they gave us more of that. But then the market started saying, oh, wait a second. But we, you guys are a growth company. We wanna make sure we keep seeing further uh, revenue growth. And so it's one of those funny situations where really almost all the metrics were beat, or at least a meet. But just a slight deceleration in sales has people saying, oh man, are these cost cuts gonna weigh on their ability to really keep growing in the way they have been over the last decade? And it's a similar theme that perhaps we saw with C3AI as well, is that a company that has significant growth, well, Salesforce is the best performing stock in the S&P 500 this year. C3AI has tripled in its yep. market valuation. And yet the growth that they're guiding to just isn't living up to expectation. Yeah, when it comes to C3, so if Salesforce is one of the best in the S&P, C3 is the best tech stock performance. I mean, it's up 300%, right? There's been so much hype, and the big question is, is it just hype, right? Mm -hmm. Is it have a real robust AI ability to grow, or are people just buying the ticker because it says AI, you know? And so when it rallied 300% this year, a lot of people say, this looks a lot like, you know, GameStop in 2021 or something. Yeah. So I think when the figures last night came in even a little bit light, people kind of panicked and said, oh man, is this hype? Are we getting uh, pulled on the string, you know? Yeah, and you're someone who's perhaps been laying bare some of the arguments as to why it's hype. Some great writing coming from Brody Ford. You go and check out his reporting. We thank him for bringing us up to speed on the latest on C3AI. But one person still likes the hype around the stock. Dan Ives, in fact, from Webbush Senior Equity Analyst, you rose to an outperform rating and a $50 price target on the stock, right? So talk to me about why. How are you, how are you seeing this company capitalize on artificial intelligence? Well, in my opinion, I mean, they're going through a model transition on the consumption side. And on the other side, they're on their way to, to what's going to be 500 million of rev and going because this is an $800 billion market opportunity in terms of AI. And when you look at how Siebel's position is, despite all the controversies, I think from a platform perspective, they're just going use case by use case, continuing to increase their tentacles. And I think the stock relative to where it could ultimately lead you know, we be buyers here in this dip, which is why we upgrade. It's interesting that Alex Karp from Palantir we're just hearing saying this isn't an infinite market, but I am going to ask the competition question anyway, because that is some of the worry here, the worry that they're very focused on perhaps offering their services to energy companies. They haven't really diversified out of that that successfully thus far. And Bloomberg Intelligence are kind of worried about large application software platforms. They're worried about other cloud vendors getting in on the space. Yeah, and look, no doubt, I mean, this is a Game of Thrones playing out in AI. You know, as Alex talked about, Palantir being one of the core AI players, you look at what we've seen from Microsoft and NVIDIA. That's really the start of it. But in terms of second, third derivative, there's going to be many winners here. Mm. And when I look at C3 in terms of what they built, I think it just speaks to there's going to be many companies that even though right now you're not seeing it from a revenue perspective in terms of how they got it, I think three, four quarters from now, we look back at this as more of an inflection point rather than the start of some sort of froth. It is heavily shorted, and there have been some notes coming from short sellers on the stock, worried about over-promising, under-delivering. You hinted at the controversy there. What makes you confident in the leadership of this business? Yeah, look, and obviously the shorts have done a ton of work. I mean, if you look at the bears, they spent a lot of time in the story. 
But that's essentially what makes the market, right? In other words, it comes down to can they execute? And, and I believe in terms of the relationships with hyperscale players within the Beltway, and you look at what Siebel sort of built here. Look, if I could go back five, six years ago, many thought that, you know, that this was something that was never going to come to fruition when they were private. And you look at how they built it, I think they're going through a transition on the consumption model. And now, next three to four quarters, it's an execution story. We're betting that it's going to be positive execution. And that's why, you know, ultimately, I think this is a situation that you're seeing across AI, because I believe it's a revolution yeah. in terms of this is not a hype theme, in, in, in my opinion, in terms of broader AI. Okay, we've got one minute, Dan. Broader AI and Apple, you're expecting much on Monday? Oh, I think you, from Cupertino, clearly, you know, as uh, German's talked about in ARVR, that'll be front and center. AI will be a theme in the keynote from Cook, we believe. It's about the developers. There's a battle right now, battlefield from developers, from Google, Microsoft, and Apple. You know, I view that as a, a key opportunity for them to go out on there in terms of building AI on the App Store and really the start of what's going to be a multi-year, and I think massive growth opportunity that's being underestimated within Cupertino. Dan Ives of Webbush. Thanks for all the thoughts. Great to have you on Thank some you. of these earnings and these movers. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Let's talk about really the AI hype that we continue to live and die by at the moment. The finance industry moving quickly, we understand, to use artificial intelligence in productive and innovative ways. But there are still times when it makes more sense to actually use human brain power. Bloomberg's Aisha Ghani reports. Time for some real talk about AI. Not only is it sometimes worse than humans, it can also be more expensive. It costs GPT-4 around $14 to answer one question on one 100,000-word loan document. An example of a question might be, what are the downgrade triggers for this loan? And the reason why it costs $14 are simply down to the extreme compute costs required for OpenAI to operate its large language models. So it passes that compute cost on to the software vendor or onto the user. At the same time, it only costs around six to seven dollars for a human being just opening up Adobe Acrobat and Microsoft Excel to answer that specific question. News Company sells data analysis technology to financial institutions. It's an industry that is rapidly adopting AI. Banks need to be far more strategic in the, their way of leveraging AI, both from a cost perspective and from a risk management perspective. So, Wells Fargo is using large language models to analyze regulatory data to make recommendations to clients. France's BNP Paribas, meanwhile, uses AI-powered chatbots for customer service, as well as using the tech in fraud detection. And JP Morgan, the biggest US bank, is on a hiring spree. It advertised for a massive 3,500 AI-related roles in the three months through April. These are some of the early applications at a time when costs remain relatively high. That's likely to change. Knowing the technology's current limits also lets companies focus on the real opportunities. We just heard it there, JP Morgan, absolutely leading the pack when it comes to experimentation or indeed hiring of AI talent. We want to dig into this with Bloomberg's Sally Bakewell, who covers all things Wall Street. And 
Just remind us why, for banks at the moment, generative AI, AI in general, is going to be such a winner for them. So, yes, Wall Street is racing to use AI basically in ways that make money, that saves money, and that prevents nefarious money. Now, why is AI useful to banks? Well, banks are these complex machines of reams of data, of risk modeling, of decisions underpinned by, you know, vast quantities of information. And so if AI can make that more efficient or cut some of the manpower involved, that is a huge win for Wall Street. Now, what is it doing? Well, we, as we just heard, um, banks like Deutsche Bank are deploying deeper learning so that they can help clients analyze whether they are too heavily invested in a particular asset. JP Morgan has filed a patent for some sort of chat GPT device that might help investors select equities. Um, and BNP Paribas, well, it's using chatbots to answer client questions. Interesting. So that's sort of a serving to the customer, very much clear how that would work. I'm interested in some of the risk analysis they're doing around this as well, because some are being more cautious than others. It feels like Morgan Stanley is having a bit more of an experimental just within the confines of their four walls take. But some had actually banned the use of ChatGPT by their own employees. So how do you see they're putting on in place the right guardrails here. Exactly, and, and we, you know, we've seen some blow-ups in the world of advanced technologies, you know, crypto and blockchain, those have been hugely problematic. Um, and so banks are indeed being very, very cautious, and we have heard from, um, you know, Warren Buffett, who has said that you, once it's out there, you can't uninvent it. And so, mm. you know, the genie out the bottle could propose a bit of a problem. And Moynihan, too, has said, Bank of America Chief Executive Moynihan has also said that, you know, you don't know what are going into a lot of these decisions. If you don't know the inputs, you should potentially be concerned about the outputs. And then, of course, you know, banks have a fiduciary duty not to trade on unreliable information, mm. um, which also begs the question of the sources of data that are pulled in um, when it comes to AI. How much are they building themselves? Or how much are they doing plugins? Do you know how much they're looking to other AI tech outside of their world? I think they are doing any and all. Um, some are trying to do it in-house, and some are using external consultancies. Um, and you know, we, we had that great data point um, about talent, because mm. talent is very much at the heart of this. And of all the banks that are really embracing AI, um, about 40% of their open jobs are AI-related. That's for quants, uh, that's for ethics or governance or analysts. Um, and so, and JP Morgan is very much at the forefront of that, accounting for about more than 3,600 of those jobs. So very much at the heart of this race is, as always on Wall Street, the battle for talent. And that talent's expensive as well. I mean, it's not bad timing that a lot of the big tech companies have been letting go of some key talent, and I'm sure they'll be sucked up into the world of finance. But is there any reskilling that goes on within the banks, or is it always just looking out externally? Again, I think it's probably a bit of both. And indeed, the talent will be very expensive, you know, when combined with wage inflation and inflation mm. in general. And the cost of AI can also be expensive. Um, we included a stat in the Big Take story that costs of using large language models um, could be about $14 per hour, which compares to $6 per hour when it's a good old human, human lawyer. Well, we'll see as and when that cost point comes down. That all comes down to compute costs. But we thank you so much. What a great big take. Sally Berkwell running us through it. Go check it out on .com or indeed if you're lucky enough to have a terminal. And then meanwhile, let's just talk a little bit about digital avatars. The market is another faction of the AI space expected to see rapid growth in the next few years. But most Tom McKenzie spoke about the ethics behind using the technology with his very own digital twin. Take a look. Joining us now is a very special, slightly weird guest. It is, in fact, my own digital avatar, Tom McKenzie. Tom, digital Tom, 
Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here on Bloomberg TV. I am an AI-powered digital avatar designed to provide insights and information on a wide range of topics. Okay, this is all very odd. All right, what, what exactly are avatars? Digital avatars, powered by generative AI, are virtual representations of individuals that can mimic human behavior, appearance, and interactions. They work by utilizing AI algorithms to analyze and learn from vast amounts of data, including facial expressions, gestures, and speech patterns. This enables them to generate realistic and responsive virtual characters. Okay, so avatars aren't just gimmicks then, but what are the real world implications? I'm thinking across the economy, across different industries. What is the impact actually likely to be? They can revolutionize industries such as entertainment, gaming, and virtual communication. Avatars have the power to enhance user experiences, enabling immersive virtual interactions and personalized content. They can facilitate remote collaboration, telepresence, and even assist with customer service. Okay, there have to be some downsides though, so what are the risks of this kind of technology? As AI becomes more pervasive, ethical concerns arise, including issues related to bias and fairness in AI algorithms, transparency and explainability of AI decision-making, data privacy and security, and the potential for AI to perpetuate existing social inequalities. Tom McKenzie and AI, Tom McKenzie. Let's just bring you some headlines. We're currently seeing that the Treasury may delay three-month and six-month bill sales due to the debt cap. We are understanding, of course, there's still conversations going about the debt ceiling, how that's going to be agreed, currently in the hat, passed by the House, waiting for the Senate. We understand that the US is tentatively planning three-month and six-month bill auctions on June the 5th, but the Treasury may delay those auction sales due to the debt cap at the moment. We'll bring you any further news on the debt ceiling negotiations. Meanwhile, coming up, we'll talk about the unique opportunities in artificial intelligence and legal tech, in fintech, and much, much more. Canvas Ventures, Rebecca Lynn is going to be joining us next. Meanwhile, let's just have a little look at what's happening in the world of retail. Macy's the shares actually really managing to bounce back from what was pretty ugly sell-off in pre-market. This after the numbers came in, well, less than expected. The forward-looking guidance having to pull back their overall outlook for their business as the consumer dials back, particularly from the Macy's brand rather than Bloomingdale's and indeed Blue Mercury, where we saw a bounce back. But let's just have a look at what the CEO told me a little bit earlier. We sat down with Jeff Gannett and we have a he's talking about his role within artificial intelligence, saying, when we look at AI more broadly, where our team can build more customer product discovery, we are on the vanguard to continue to deploy that. So still an area of growth. It's a Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. 
Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. All the way to like accounting and operations, I think it's going to completely revolutionize and transform our industry. And we're investing very, very heavily um, into the development of new capabilities in AI. Enrique Dubagras, the Brex co-CEO, was with us yesterday talking about AI's impact on fintech. And now let's turn to a fintech investor who's not totally convinced that AI has the real breakout use case in the space quite yet. Rebecca Lynn, I'm pleased to say, is joining us, co-founder and general partner of Canvas Ventures. It's a firm specializing in fintech and AI, among other things, health as well, $835 million in assets under management. And fascinating to have you with us, Rebecca, as to why maybe fintech isn't the first and foremost place you'll be putting AI to work. Yeah, I think there are a lot of interesting places to put AI to work. You know, fintech is not the absolute top of my list. I think companies that have true transformative capabilities uh, using AI are really where I'd focus first. And I can give an example in my portfolio uh, with a company called Case Text. So Case Text is in the legal in the legal world. They help lawyers really put together legal research, write their briefs, do discovery, and. The technology of AI, especially GPT-4, has yeah. supercharged that company and really transformed it and taken it to the next level. How so I think- comfortable are potential customers with the offering from Case Text? For example, we saw the news mm-hmm. and some smirked somewhat that two New York lawyers are potentially facing, well, some not only backlash but penalties because they used ChatGPT-4 to be able to put forward case studies that actually didn't exist. It hallucinated them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering what... I mean, it seems funny, but I mean, this has real connotations when people need to start saying that they're using AI within this work, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, so I will tell you, um, people have been so comfortable with case text that the company racked up uh, $5 million additional... $5 million of additional ARR in 45 days after uh, the launch of mm-hmm. their their product called CoCounsel. And regarding that story, you know, what has to happen, even if you're, I'm an attorney as well, actually. And so if you're an attorney, you need to read the work, whether that be of your associates or of your AI. And what's happening is that case text is effectively standing in the shoes of an associate. And so as a partner at a firm, you would, you would be required, of course, to, uh, to review that work. And I, I can pretty much guarantee you they, they weren't using case text. <laughs> and basically, that's kind of what you've got to do right now. You've got to sort the wheat from the chaff, what's real, what's not, what's hype, what's reality. And ultimately, how are you doing that when you're looking at, I'm sure, hundreds of messages pouring into your inbox <laughs> trying to sell you the AI vision that they've suddenly bolted onto their company? 
Yeah, it's funny. I tell everyone my uh, my inbox is more like a Twitter stream at this point in time, right? <laughs> so there, there's a lot of sorting, I will tell you. But there's always a lot of sorting for us. And, and quite frankly, that's what we're paid to do in venture is to really sort of see around the corner and really start with the th- with what's next. Like, what is it that this world needs? What is it that is really going to be happening, you know, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, and then work backwards. And so, you know, just sorting through what comes in email is very reactionary. And, you know, it was taught very early by uh, probably one of the most respected people in venture, Bill Gurley, that the, the best deals are really the outbound deals. So our firm and, and, our, and our thesis is really outbound macro, and then you work backwards from there. So what, what's early? What's transformative? And just tagging AI to something, it, it doesn't really help. I mean, I think AI will be helpful in almost every business. Mm. And, uh, and we really want to see, you know, not what's just helpful, but what's transformative, right? What, what's really going to create the next, you know, $1 billion, $10 billion, you know, $1 trillion company out there. What are valuations like when you're looking <laughs> at those outbound opportunities? Yeah, so valuations, we invest in the series A and B. Uh, Our real core uh, asset in our firm is our go-to-market capability. And so what we like to do is come in and invest when companies are series A or B. And what we like to do is sort of do the, the late A, early B. So really before somebody is, you know, technically fundraising, go in, come in a little preemptively and help, you know, help them get to that next level. You know, when you talk about valuations, you know, valuations across the board are down. Uh, they're down less for the Series A than they are for the growth stage. You know, growth stage valuations have just taken a nosedive. They're down you know, 80%, I would say, right now. Uh, early stage valuations are down 40 on, on the average. However, there is the case of the have and the haves-nots. Mm. Uh, I have one company in particular that was not even in a process and now is sitting on four term sheets, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really is this case of a have and a have-not. When you're looking at the later stage with valuations on the downside, they're having to buckle up. They're going to have to ride out the next couple of years as the economy recovers, yes. as people get risk appetite once again. And they're also having to maybe pivot or indeed ensure that they're not having their lunch eaten by other new AI mm-hmm. players on the scene. How are you making sure your portfolio is robust for this complete change in vanguard moment, as many want to call it, in the world of artificial intelligence? Yeah, I mean, this is a moment that we haven't really seen since really the, the, when the wall garden, walled garden came down with the introduction of the iPhone. That happened you know, about 15 years ago when I first came into venture. And I think our firm is unique in that we have seen multiple cycles. This isn't our first rodeo, right? And so we've been through this before. And in every cycle like this, the, uh, the advice is the same. It's cut your burn, you know, cut your burn and cut your burn. Plan to get there on your own oxygen. And don't be afraid to pivot. I mean, there, there are, in the land of AI, there are huge opportunities in front of companies. You know, take a beat, cut your burn, and you know, live to fight the next fight and, and take advantage of what the capabilities of AI can offer you to really rethink your company and mm. think out of the box and get there. And the problem a lot of these companies have is they're sitting at such a high valuation on their, their post of their last round that they have to get profitable because yeah. they're not going to be able to get that next round without a big uh, down round or even a recap. Canvas Ventures, co-founder and general partner. 
telling it straight. Rebecca Lynn, really great to have you. Thank you so much for our VC Spotlight. Meanwhile, it's time for Talking Tech. And first up, Tether's stablecoin has recovered all of the roughly $20 billion in market value it lost following the collapse of the algorithmic rival Terra USD. It's a little over a year ago, of course, and it's even topping its previous record of $83 billion set back in May 2022. It's according to a live tracker published by Tether. Meanwhile, Apple is testing a pair of new high-end Macs and their accompanying processors ahead of its Worldwide Developers Conference. That's next week. This is part of an effort to overhaul the Mac line and attracts consumers during a slight stretch for the computer industry. Plus, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang is heading to China, we understand, to meet with tech executives in the world's biggest chip market. This despite rising tensions, of course, between Washington and Beijing. It's all according to sources. Are you ready to be replaced? Hello there. As you listen to me speak and raise my eyebrows, you're probably noticing something a bit off about me. I'm an avatar of Parmi Olson, a technology columnist with Bloomberg Opinion. Parmi spent about two hours in a TV studio speaking into a camera and microphone so that an AI model could be trained to clone her into what you see in front of you. Maybe in a year or two, I'll look a lot more real and a little less glitchy making people like you and Parmi easier to replace in videos. Well, isn't it all the rage, these AI avatars? That, of course, the Bloomberg Opinions, Parmi Olsen there. And well, speaking of AI imitating us better and better and threatening to replace our jobs, technology might actually disproportionately replace jobs typically held by women. Now, that's according to HR analytics firm Revelio Labs. An economist at the firm says, quote, the distribution of genders across occupations reflects the biases deeply rooted in our society, with women often being confined to roles such as administrative assistants and secretary. The AI skewed along gender lines. Revelio Labs identified jobs more likely to be replaced by AI and found that are generally held by women, such as bill and account collectors, payroll clerks, executive secretaries, and more. Now, the firm says providing retrained opportunities will be key for women to navigate this evolving job landscape. Now, does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology? Don't forget to check out our podcast. You can find it on the terminal, as well as online at Apple, Spotify, and iHeart. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.